Hey guys, welcome back to episode two of Dirt Stories. We are super excited to talk to you today about our visit to McCree Construction in Orlando. We flew down a couple months ago to talk to Cindy McCree Bodine, who is their vice president. I think they have an awesome story and I'm excited for you to hear a little bit more about it. So they've been in business. Uh, they were founded in 1926. So they've been around for a long time. Um, they've worked on some really awesome projects. And uh, a couple interesting points about them. So they're actually the first company in Orlando to have a team of both architects and um, a full construction team on staff. So um, that allows them to have the internal resources to complete estimates, site planning, interior design, quality control, supervising, and kind of everything in between. So she's been their vice president for about 15 years, and we thought it would be a great opportunity for us to sit down with... Uh, a female leader and talk to her about how their their family business has evolved and grown and how they've become a leader in Orlando. So we had a great time chatting with her. We hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, yeah, let's let's kick it off and hear what Sandy had to say. Okay, so without further ado, let's uh, kick off our episode. So Kevin Forrestal, our CEO, sat down with Cindy to interview her. Let's uh, hear what they had to say. My name is Cindy with McCree, and this is our Dirt Story. So Cindy, <clears throat> thank you for having us. Um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about McCree, uh, just a little bit of background? Yes, absolutely. So my name is Cindy McCree Bodine. I'm one of the principals here at McCree General Contractors and Architects. We are a 93-year-old, fourth-generation, family-owned firm in Orlando, Florida. The founder had eight children, and um, my grandfather went to Georgia Tech and came in on the construction side right around World War II era. Um, and the children, the eight children were spread out in age. Anyways, what he found was that there was always an adversarial relationship between the architect and the contractor, a lot of butting heads blaming this and that. But he also said, you know, it'd be great to have a contractor involved from the beginning because you can be pricing while they're designing. And so then, you know, the owner gives you the budget, you know, okay, hey, if my budget is, say, $10 million and we're drawing it, let's do an estimate early on and see if we're going to be in the budget. And that's kind of where the design-build process started from. But he also said then, after the project's all said and done, we've, we've now did all this pre-construction work, we've got it in budget, we're all on a team together, we're, you know, we're going forward. Then afterwards, we can step back, take lessons learned, apply those to the next, next project, so forth and so on. It became a full circle process. Um, and you know, we do the design build in-house, but it's also, we, we partner with lots of architectural firms. It's not just about us trying to do all the work, it's what's best for the client. And uh, so anyhow, but yeah, he had eight children and his youngest went to University of Florida for architecture. So his dream came true and he was able to get his architect son on board. And that's when we started the design build process here. And we started out as residential um, commercial, uh, residential contractors. And then we, over the years, have um, predominantly been commercial. However, we still have a residential arm of the business. In the 1950s, we were the pioneers of the design-build uh, concept. 
which is a um, method for doing a project. Um, it's different than the traditional, which is when you hire an architect, do a set of drawings, then you go out and get bids, and then you actually build it. So that's called a design bid build process. But we are in-house since the 1950s, have architecture, engineering, and then we also are a general contractor firm. And um, our markets are predominantly commercial, like I said. It's easier to say what we don't do than what it is that we do do. Um, being in Orlando, Florida, it's unique because we are probably the only ones that don't do theme park. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty much the only market we don't do. Every other type of market we do um, in construction. We're known for a lot of religious facilities, a lot of schools, a lot of institutional buildings, a lot of colleges, um, healthcare, um, public um, fire stations, you know, city halls, things of that nature, and then just a wide gamut of professional uh, workspaces as well. Wow, that's uh, super interesting and sounds like a, a great company. Um, yeah. How, really curious, how many people are at the company? So I think we're somewhere between 60 and 70 um, people right now. Over 93 years, you can imagine there's a lot of fluctuation. Um, right. At our highest, I think we were close to 200 people, but right now we're about 60 to 70 folks. Um, when we got to that peak, we did a lot more self-performing, um, and we had some divisions where we self-performed. We still have several self-performing divisions. We have a concrete plant where we make precast walls. We also have our mill shop, which has been with us all of our 93 years, but we do custom cabinetry and things of that nature as well. So those two subdivisions of McCree or subsidiaries of McCree. Um, are, are two predominant um, self-performing divisions. So so I see you're a VP here. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's about 15 years that you've been in the role. Can you tell me what that's like to be at a 93-year-old you know, business being a VP for the last uh, 15 or so years? <laughs> um, yeah, so um, everybody's role here at McCree is very important. One of our... Um, value systems is called on purpose and that everybody here who has a role at McCree has a purpose in what we do for our clients. Um, and as the vice president, I have several hats that I wear, but so does everybody else at the firm. Um, throughout the years of this 15 years, I wasn't just a VP. I've done accounting. I've done reception. I've done, you know, project coordination. I've done human resources. I've also worked in now in marketing and business development. So you wear a lot of hats, but I'm also a McCree. And as a family member, um, we hold ourselves to a very high standard because it's a privilege to be in the business, but it's also, you've got to have a strong work ethic. You've got to, you know, be a go-getter. And um, so that's kind of how it is. We never force any of the family members to come into the business. It's, it's got to be something that they're interested in. But I've actually worked here more than 15 years. I worked here in high school for summer jobs mm -hmm. and over Christmas break. And yeah, and you know, I actually got my degree in education. I was a teacher for 10 years before I came and joined the firm. Oh, really? So, you know. It, it ended up that they needed my help. They asked me, and I came, and I've never looked back and been happy as can be. So, is there a, do you find overlap like uh, with with teaching and maybe HR? I mean, I'm guessing Ooh. training. Or, uh, <laughs> um, were you able to use some of those skills when you brought, brought them over? Ironically, yes. For me, the marketing side, um, I was I'm I've got some creativity. I'm not going to toot my own horn or anything, <laughs> but um, I think the creative side 
um, overlaps for sure with education and a, and a teacher. I was an elementary school teacher, so you had to be very creative in engaging the students and keeping them paying attention and, and you know being involved in the lessons and everything. But in the construction industry, it's so relationship-driven, and you've got to be creative on how to um, maintain those relationships and, and keep people thinking of your company in the back of their head when they go to a, to a selective firm for a project. And then also I will say there's an overlap with HR a little bit. Um, you know, you're, you're basically a support mechanism for the staff and for the people and for the owners, but you know, it's similar in the same sense that as a teacher, you're a support mechanism for the students. And, and sure. so I see some overlap there as well. Great. Um, I, I'm really curious. Has, this business always been in this location? Or? So, okay, that's a cute story. Um, in the 1940s, we moved here, right. and Orlando was nothing. It was a small town before Disney came. Right. And um, I want to say, yeah, it was like the late 1930s when the utility company here in Orlando needed our current locate our, our location back then, which was probably 10 miles from here. And it actually is not in a great area today. It's it's not in a um, it's kind of in a more crime related area. So we lucked out. They said we have this property over here on Princeton, which now is just a big, right in the heart of downtown, right next to Advent Health, and you know we just kind of lucked into this prime location. Oh, nice. Um, but they they get us swapped. They took our property in the 1940s, and we moved here. So we've been here for a long time. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and it started out as a little house. You're actually in the original room. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, cool. So, yeah, no, it's a, it seems like an amazing location, a very nice office. Yeah, so we've been very fortunate to have this spot. Awesome. So I um, uh, just want to ask a couple questions about like, some projects, if you give mm -hmm. us uh, you know, more insight into the actual uh, job sites and uh, you know, over your, your career here in the last 14 years as a VP. Um, are there any really cool projects that you've been involved in, uh, anything that uh, we should know about? Well, everybody here is involved in every project, so there's there's um, there's not anything that necessarily I would say for me, but I will say for the company, um, our very first project that we've ever built was for the mayor of Orlando. Oh, yeah. um, my grand my great grandfather who founded the firm um, was working up in Texas, and he was building turpentine camps for this gentleman, and it was called the U.S. Naval Stores, and yeah. then they moved and started building in Florida. And he moved down with him, left his family and eight children, moved down with him, and um, anyways, the gentleman who was his boss ended up becoming a mayor of Orlando, wow. this up-and-coming town, which was nothing back in the 19-teens at that time. And so he asked him to build his house, which he built his house in Texas. That house is still standing in Texas. It's actually on the National Historic Registry. Oh, wow. And then the house that my great-grandfather built here in Orlando is now a law firm, but it's also on the National Historic Registry, and it's still... I actually got to tour it about a year or so ago, and it's still got all the, a lot of the original um, features of it. So very, very cool. That's definitely one more proud of. Um, there's other great projects we've done, um, things that are for nonprofits right across the street. You can pan and see Ronald McDonald House. We've oh, yeah. done um, two of the Ronald McDonald Houses in Central Florida. We're very proud of those because the community all rallied together, and we raised um, over one $1.2 million in in-kind donations to get those built for the two local hospitals. So we love projects where the community comes together 
and it gives back to the community because this is our hometown. Um, other things, we love building schools. We love uh, building religious facilities. All of the churches we have built, um, we still do work with them. So right. having repeat customers, that's very important to us. Um, and, oh gosh, there's just some, some neat stuff like we've done. Um, we did a very modern, high-tech dental facility. And I won't tell you how much it was, but it was probably the most expensive dental facility you've ever seen. <laughs> so that's more modern and for today. But just seeing over the years the changes and the transitions between what what's the style. You see things come back. You see things go out of style. Um, I actually consider some of the more modern stuff that we're seeing today very much like mid-century modern right. architecture. So it's kind of neat to see that come and go um, in the different styles. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of projects we're very proud of. So you guys talk about your story, our story. Uh, can you tell me what that means? Yes. So um, let's say you're you're wanting to build a building and you have a business and you have started your own personal journey as a company, um, but you know you're ready to build a building. That is your story. And we want to understand our client's story when we're working with them because it's not just about hiring a contractor for us or hiring an architectural firm for us. It's about how do we help you with your story and your journey. So we, we have always looked at it that way that yes, we're a, we're a business. Yes, we want to um, do well and we want to be able to give back to the community. We want our staff to do well and thrive and all that. But we also want to help the businesses we work with thrive as well. So that's where it's not just our story, it's your story too. How do we, as a contractor, as an architectural firm, how do we help you with your story? And the building itself tells a story. Whether it's a building or whether you're, you're leasing a space and you're renovating that space, everything you do as a business is right. part of your story. So that's where that comes from is the your story, our story is we take our story and our, our experience and all of that and we listen to your story and we meld the two together. Yeah, I love that. That's kind of where the whole uh, this Dirt Stories concept comes from is everyone has a great story and mm -hmm. we want to learn about them and it sounds like you're doing the exact same thing. With your it's always a great interview question too. <laughs> right. You sit down and you meet somebody yeah. for the first time, just ask them, tell me your story. And right. you, can, you can find out a lot about somebody and it's, you know, everybody's got things in their life. Everybody's got great things in their life. They've got things, struggles they've gone through, but it really makes us as a people, you know, appreciate each other so much more. So. Completely agree. Thank you. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, being a woman in leadership in construction? Um, just what is that like? Um, is there anything you can tell uh, any of our viewers uh, to help inspire them to, you know, take a similar path? Yes, so um, I'm very fortunate that I had a family business that I could come into that was in the construction industry and they welcomed me with open arms and provided me opportunities. Um, not saying I didn't have to work my tail off to get through and to get where I am, but you know, being a woman in construction is a very, still a very big challenge. Um, I will tell you, I think from my personal opinion, I never looked at it as I'm a woman in construction. I looked at it as I'm in construction. Right. What do I need to do to get the job done? And people who know me, I think, know that. I've never played the woman card. 
In fact, when I became the first female chair for um, Associated Builders and Contractors, they kind of made a big deal about the fact that I was the first woman chair. Right. And I said, you know what? That's great. I think it's cooler that I'm the first second generational chair. My dad was chair in the 70s. I think nice. that's cooler. So I never really pushed the woman thing. It's all about, you know, presenting yourself um, and not playing, in my opinion, a woman card. Now, I could be completely, you know, put down for that comment. But in my opinion, I don't think we have to play the woman card. We just got to work hard and we've got to be the best we can be at our job, a go-getter, be as on purpose as we can with what we do, be honest. Um, I will say this too about women in construction. Um, it's a bias that exists. Um, I don't know that every person believes it or anything, but people have always said women are more emotional. I will tell you for a fact, being in a fact that I was in charge of HR here at McCree for about five years, men and women are both emotional. <laughs> it is not just women. But that is a big thing that I think is a, a gender we've had to overcome. Men don't like to see women cry. Women don't like to see men cry. You know, we, <laughs> yeah. nobody likes to see anybody cry. But that is a challenge, I think, in general for um, our gender and our industries that, you know, we have to show that we're not the emotional person that somebody might think we are but really it's it's I would not worry about the woman card I would just do your job do it well fight for what you believe in um, and if you do all of that and you do what you say you're gonna do nobody can argue with you yeah, that's, uh, I love that answer it, it sounds like just working very very hard um, you know forgetting about uh, you know the maybe a gender bias being there but uh, by you doing that, you're inspiring a whole lot of other young women to get into this uh, this construction field, right? I mean, they look up to you and see it as a possibility, and um, I'm sure they love that advice. I received an award from the National Association of Women in Construction when I was the chair of ABC, and, you know, I got up there and I actually teared up. And the audience just started, some of the women were like, yes, because it was like she cried. But, you know, yes, you get emotional, and that's okay. It's okay to show some emotion and show that you're human. Um, I think in general, I have found from business development when I'm meeting with clients, they prefer that. They want to know that you're not just a contractor. You're not this, you know, hard, whatever, hard person. You're somebody who cares, and, and you have you have passion in what you do. So wear your heart on your sleeve. It's okay. <laughs> Awesome. Well, from talking to a lot of people, and uh, a common theme is everyone's growing, and they're they're all looking for more people. You know, really great people. Uh, can you tell us about uh, you know recruiting uh, here, and you know uh, just a little bit more about uh, recruiting? Sure. Um, once again, over you know nine decades, the recruitment process has obviously changed so much. The generational differences have changed so much, but. Um, you know, as a business, you've got to find what works best for you. For McCree, um, we use um, multiple um, platforms to find the right match. And it's not just a match for us. It's got to be a match for them. Obviously, every company wants to find somebody that's going to come there, give it their all, love work, you know, love their job, um, and find purpose in what they do. But, and, and we look for that as well. Um, one of the ways we do that, we have a personality profile that we um, particularly use. We you know, obviously get the resumes, we narrow it down, then we send them the personality profile. 
from that, it gives us a direct match. Um, and we really strongly use that to, to find people that not only meet the job description, but also meet the personality profile of who they're going to be working with. Um, right. That's so important because you can have somebody who's got a great resume, great experience, and then you put them with a certain person and they just clash. So you've got to make sure all the personalities line up. Um, but number two, we don't hide anything. Um, if anything, I think we share too much sometimes about ourselves, all of our flaws, all of our you know great things, but we, we want somebody to really be aware of the position they're going after. And I think in general, most people appreciate that, that they're that we're very honest about ourselves and that we share a lot about the company so that they know, is this really where I want to be? Um, and same thing going forward after you hire them, you've got you've to provide them with, number one, you know, all of the, the training and things that they need, but also the support so that they feel comfortable to say, hey, I don't get this, you know, I'm flailing here a little bit, can you help me? Uh, you want your staff to do that versus them going down this kind of rabbit hole of, getting in themselves into trouble. You want them to be honest and say, hey, I need help, you know, so that's that's another thing. Um, referrals are huge. Yeah. Um, yeah, and absolutely. fortunately, when you're an old business and you know a lot of people, you get a lot of referrals, but that's huge. Um, I will also mention, um, because we have self-performing divisions, the skilled um, labor yep. situation, skilled craftsman situation is a very big challenge for the whole country, um, you know, there's been a push since the 70s to just go career of college right. path, and not everybody's meant to go to college. And as y'all know, the construction industry pays remarkably well, and you can come out of uh, technical training with no debt, right. no tuition, you know, that you've had to pay for and all that, and get right into a career that pays very, very well. So we push for that as well. We're involved in several nonprofit organizations that are trying to promote um, education and technical training and um, in addition to that we partner with a couple lot local um, nonprofits for individuals that have had something happen in their life and they need a second second chance in life and so we work with those organizations and we don't even look at their resume we know they've they've been recommended recommended by that nonprofit we hire them we train them and take them on so we've been doing that for a long time and that's Kind of how we've been able to reduce that skills gap that exists out there because I think that's going to be continue to be the huge challenge for everybody until you know as a as a society we accept that technical training is okay you right. know and it's an okay path should be what's your career path not what's your college path we uh, part of the uh, what we're doing here is uh, uh, trying to communicate this to the idea is we're hoping that uh, you know people will see these amazing dirt stories and want to get into the industry. There's this whole concept of inspiring the next generation, and uh, it sounds like you guys are doing a great job of that. So. Well, we're we're small. There's you know there's so many firms in Orlando, and everybody's rallying together. Um, when I was the chairman of ABC, I don't know if you're familiar with Associated Builders and Contractors, but it's yeah. a construction industry. When I was chair of ABC in 2016, as a board, we talked about what are the two main goals that we're trying to accomplish as a board. And number one was obviously we wanted to promote ABC and do all of that. But number two is what can we do to close the skills gap that we've got. And from that board, 
um, we came up with the idea to start I Build Central Florida. And all that is, is promoting training and skills trade. All the local colleges, the local public school systems, they're all teaching it now. They're all pushing it now. But the construction industry has got to back them up and has got to be aware of all these opportunities where these trainings are occurred so they can hire from there and, and help provide support. So iBuild is literally just kind of a um, coordination effort between everybody, between the schools and all the training that's occurring and then all of the industry so that we can partner together. So, awesome. yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. It is because, you know, you, it's amazing. Companies just aren't aware, okay, so this college is doing that program. I didn't know they were doing that program. And, you know, this nonprofit is doing this. I didn't know that. So we're just kind of creating this um, opportunity for us to be aware of, of all the opportunities that exist and all the, the programs that exist out there. Because right. you're busy just building. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So. Okay, great. We ask everyone the same question. Um, what, uh, what is your proudest moment? What is uh, of your dirt story? Okay. So, you know, there's so many things that that make me um, proud um, of McCree and of my family and of our people and of the community. And number one, just the fact that we're still here. I mean, I love the fact that as a company, we never think we just got it. Right. That, okay, we're set. We've got this much work coming up or we've done well on all these projects and we're just booming. We are constantly looking for ways to improve, and that makes me very proud that we, as a company, as a family, are always trying to do better. Um, I am a Christian, and I'm proud that McCree incorporates that in our business, and that we are, we've gotten over that fear of, do you implement that in the workplace? But I love that we have that, so that makes me very proud that we can say that to customers, and we can... We've hosted a Bible study here at our office. I mean, oh, wow. I love things like that. Um, the other thing that makes me proud, and this is going to sound kind of corny, but I love just driving around and saying, wow, my grandfather built this, or my, you know, my great-grandfather built this. And I pointed out to my kids, I'm like, yeah, Mom, who cares? But it, it means a lot to me, and I know someday it will mean a lot to them. So that is, makes me very proud. And then finally, the last thing that makes me very proud is that in the 93 years we've been around, Every single year, even when we've had losses as a company, which has only happened twice, we've had two years where we've had a loss as a company. That's pretty remarkable. That is. Um, we have always given back to the community. I remember when we had our 90th anniversary, and it was like, what are we going to give to all of our clients? We wanted to give a gift. And this is kind of a silly story, but we uh, decided to take leftover wood from jobs and make my great-grandfather and my grandfather loved doing woodworking and we made pencil boxes oh, cool. so this is, is this is the cool. original we re duplicated a pencil box that he always had on his desk and gave mm -hmm. that out with a little card but anyways it's just little stuff like that's that cool. that's different that people remember so yeah. in oh. the two years that we had a loss we didn't necessarily give a monetary donation but we let people use our office for free okay. you know our, we have a big training facility that can hold about 200 people and we let that we let community partners use it for meetings or events or whatever. So little things like that, but we've always figured out a way to give back to the community. So that really warms my heart. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Cindy.
guys, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in to episode two. We are super excited to share episode three with you. We are flying out to Las Vegas very soon for Con Expo. We've got lots of stuff going on there. We can't wait to share some dirt stories with you. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at DozerHub for the latest news in the industry and to follow along with our dirt stories. Also, feel free to tag us with your own dirt stories using the hashtag dirt stories. As always, this episode was brought to you by Dozer. Dozer is the only online equipment rental platform. You can search for equipment near you and instantly see prices from different rental companies across the country. If you'd like to learn more, visit dozer.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.